Welcome to Community Vineyard Church Podcast, a community of believers who passionately worships the Lord Jesus Christ, declares His truth, and shares His life with a world in need. Now, for this week's message. So this, uh, this morning, um, we're going to be diving into Romans chapter 5. Um, I'm going to be covering for, J- for John through about Romans 5 through 8. And today, this is actually titled, the sermon's titled, God's Incomparable Gift That's in Jesus Christ. Amen. And, but before I begin, I have a burning desire to ask you a very important question. Okay, so you're really going to need to think about this. What is the world's most condescending animal? Does anyone know? All right, it's a panda. I thought you guys would know that. All right, so moving on. I do. I do want to say too before we get started. Uh, John has done such a good job tackling Romans 1 through 4. Can we just give him a hand for that? John, if you're watching on vacation, you've done a great job. Romans is is weighty. It's meaty. There's a lot of heavy theology in it. Um, It's super rich. It's super good. But it's also, you know, not the easiest thing to to break down chapter by chapter. Um, But where we're starting today, we're actually going to begin... In chapter 5, verse 2, uh, if you recall last Sunday, John taught from Romans 4 about our justification by faith. And the first verse of Romans 5 actually says that, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's kind of just a final thought on a previous chapter. So we're actually going to begin um, on verse 2 onward. So there's four points that Romans 5 really touches, and this is, this is kind of where I want to go with this. Um, through the chapter, we're going to see in point one um, that salvation is by grace through faith, and we're going to learn what that actually means. Um, we're also going to go into the ladder of hope, the ministry of reconciliation that we're all called to participate in, which is convenient that we just heard about the mission trip to Ukraine. And the parallels between the first Adam and the last Adam. So these are really just some easy to understand things here. Should be no issues getting through it, right? Yeah, I'm not so sure. So let's just pray real quick and ask the Holy Spirit to do what he does best. Father, we just give this time over to you. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that it's infallible, it's eternal, it's never going away. I thank you for the riches that are in it. There's such a treasure trove in scripture. And I ask right now that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation over the congregation and over me today. Lord, teach through me. You're the teacher. So we just give you honor and we give you praise. 
and invite you here today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you guys have your Bibles or a Bible phone app, um, go ahead and pull it out. We're going to start in uh, verse 2, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it to you. It says, through whom, so remember this is kind of a mid-sentence statement, that whom is Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay, pause. So Paul is actually telling us how we've obtained this salvation and this justification, and he's saying that it's by grace through faith. And scripture agrees with this. Paul says this elsewhere in his word, um, probably most clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So point A, the most important thing for Romans 5 is to understand that salvation is a gift. This is, we're talking gift language, not something that can be earned. And we're going to dive more into this and how God's incomparable gift of Jesus Christ affects humanity. Um, but there's also something else that we got to do first. See, there's, there's two words that are actually used throughout scripture often, and those words are grace and faith. And it's very helpful for us to have an accurate biblical definition of what grace is and what faith is. And if we have that, it's going to serve to help us to grow in Jesus Christ. So the question is, what is the biblical definition of grace and faith? Now, I have spent a lot of time looking up definitions on grace over the past 11 years with Jesus because if I'm saved by grace and I live by grace, I want to know what is God's grace. Okay, so I found in two places the best definitions for grace. Um, One is the Strong's Concordance, which was very helpful, and the other is from a minister who has been super impactful to myself, as well as I'm sure a lot of people who are in attendance today, which is uh, Graham Cook. And I want to share the two definitions that I found from the Strong's and from Graham. Okay, so in the Strong's, the word grace is charis, and it means, there's two things that it really means. It means a gift or a blessing brought to man by Jesus Christ, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. So if you take a picture, okay, so like uh, you have a boat, you got the sails, grace is like the wind right into the sails. It's the divine influence of God upon the heart of man and its reflection in life. Now, Graham Cook, um, if you know him, he's a prophetic minister in the body of Christ. He asked the Lord directly, pretty smart idea. Um, We can can use commentaries carefully, but it's good to ask the Lord sometimes. Um, It didn't contradict, but he asked God, what is your grace? What, What is the right definition of grace so I can better understand the word? And this is what the Lord told him. He said that grace is God's empowering presence that enables us to be who he says that we already are in Christ. You hear that? Grace is God's empowering presence that enables us to be who he says that we already are in Christ. See, Romans 5 through 8 is setting us up for a message of grace and our identity in Christ 
perhaps more than anywhere else in Scripture. It's very, very rich. And to understand grace in this light is only going to help us to understand how to grow in Christ all the more. So keeping this definition in mind, listen to some of these verses, okay? This is 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Now put, put the definition into that. But by the empowering presence of God, I am what I am. And his empowering presence towards me did not prove vain. But I labored all the more than any of them, yet not I, but the empowering presence of God with me. Do you guys see that? Okay, here's another one. Titus 2, 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Same definition. For the gift of God initiated by God and the empowering presence of God has appeared to all men. We're going to more understand what that means as we go through Romans chapter 5. But what I want to want you to see for now is that grace is both God acting on our behalf to save us prior to our involvement, and grace is God empowering us to live out our righteous new identity in Jesus Christ. That's the definition of grace. Now, what about faith? What is faith? All right, for this... I found help more in the helps word study. It's a different kind of concordance than the Strong's. But let me go ahead and read that to you. So this is the Greek word is pistes. And it means to persuade or be persuaded to come to trust. Faith is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. In short, faith for the believer is God's divine persuasion. And therefore, it is distinct from human belief, yet involving it. The Lord continuously births faith in the yielded believer so that they can know what he prefers, i.e. the persuasion of his will. Now, can, consider that definition. Just kind of bear with me here. I'm getting through a few definitions to get to the, a larger point. But just think about that, the divine persuasion of God when I read these verses here. Um, Ephesians 2.8 again, we're saved by grace through faith and it's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Um, in Romans 12.3, it says God has a portion to each a degree of faith. In Luke 17.5, the disciples dependently asked the Lord to increase their faith. And finally, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Is it not surprising that salvation by grace through faith is a work of divine intervention and empowerment from start to finish? And that's actually what is being taught throughout the scripture. Um, and this is why you can write this down. If you guys have notes, you should totally write this down. This is, this is such a relieving statement that, that, that I once heard and I just find it so helpful. But this is the statement. The gospel does not so much demand faith as it supplies faith. The gospel does not so much demand your faith as much as it supplies faith. Why does it supply faith? Because the gospel is about a person who alone did what only he could do to save us. And we're going to see that again as we move on through Romans chapter 5. Um, I do want to note, though, if some of you are thinking that this definition of faith may sound a little hyper-Calvinistic in that it's a gift, 
I just want to explain this. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, Calvinism uh, is a belief that since faith is a gift and since God is sovereign, then he chooses certain people for eternal damnation and he chooses certain people for eternal life. And that is not biblical. That's not supported biblically. And you're really going to see it when John tackles chapters 9 through 11. But what I want to explain is, is that gifts can be rejected. A gift doesn't mean that it bypasses your free will. It doesn't mean it bypasses your freedom to choose. It just means that you are dependent in your growth with Jesus for grace and for faith. Does that make sense? Okay, and just to hit it home a little bit, um, if you're a parent, you're going to know what I'm talking about. My kids teach me about God all the time. I learn so much more about theology through being a parent um, than I do in a lot of uh, other cases. But uh, nonetheless, I just want to say this. So my, ki- my son loves to jump high up in the air and just kind of soar, you know. So he'll put his arms up and I'll just grab him. And see, the problem is if he, if he doesn't jump with me, I could just yank his arms out. of You know, it's not a good idea. He's got to jump and then I'm going to pull him up and he's going to get up to a higher altitude that he wouldn't be able to get at on his own. When I was playing this game with him the other day, the Lord said, that's grace. That's what grace looks like. You show up, you do stuff. You're not a robot. But what happens is, is that when you show up and do stuff, God's going to put the wind to the sails and he's going to empower it. You guys who are in Ukraine, you know that. God's grace is going to show up and he's going to empower you and flow through you. So you're not an animatronic robot dependent on him to move you about. Um, the, <laughs> the other thing is faith. I got an analogy for that as well. If you have kids, especially older ones, you have probably noticed that they tend to believe lies. They tend to pick up on lies along the way. And a parent doesn't just stand back and let their kids walk off a cliff and and not intervene. Um, You know, what I do, even with my kids, when they believe a lie, I get, first thing I do is I get down to their level and I reason with them. And I speak the truth over them. And I tell them what's real. I tell them what's true. Now, God does the same thing to us. And in the same way, that's the gift of faith. You have to depend on God to come to our level where we're at. And he's going to work to persuade our hearts. So it's just, you know, it helps to know that it's not up to you to just pop a seed of faith as best as you can. If you're not having some faith, it's a good idea to go to your father, and he's going to work on you and help you to believe right. So that's what that is. Okay. All right. So we got through one slide. Okay. Um, so the, the next one is the ladder of hope, okay? Follow along with me, if you would, um, in verse 2 through 5, uh, in Romans chapter 5. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Now, th- this is in line with <clears throat> other, other areas of Paul's writings. It's also in line with James and Peter. As you all probably know, James coined the phrase, count it all joy, when you go through various trials. Um, he's encouraging us that there's something that's actually going on within the trial. Now, I, I do want to make it clear, God is not the bringer 
of evil. He's not the bringer of problems. He's the redeemer of problems. We need to get that straight first. But you also need to understand that whatever the enemy does throw at us, he's using it for our benefit. So that's the right way. Paul's saying, look, you're going to go through things. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. Um, now, here, what's, what's actually going on, though, with the trial? Now, if, you, if you've ever heard of the purification process of gold, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Basically, what's going on at really high temperatures of fire, it's burning away the dross. It's burning away everything impure, and what's rising up to the surface is the gold, everything that is pure about a person. In the same way, what's happening with us when we go through trials, often what God's doing is he's getting his chisel out and he's just chiseling away at remnants of the old nature that need to get away from us so that the gold of Christ in you can come out. He's trying to get the gold of Christ in you to come to the surface. And if we look at trials the right way, we'll be able to see that really this is producing in us a way to glory far beyond whatever we're experiencing in the temporal. And he's going to bring that about. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to explain that to you. Uh, Now, how many of you guys are really happy when you get a good problem? Anybody like get super excited? I don't see a hand. You're honest. I'm, I'm not there either, <laughs> but, but it's, it's more like just to, where's our, where's our focus when we're going through it, you know? And I, even, I wrote a little note here, just, you know, the old nature's dead. We're going we're gonna to get into that in Romans 6 and Romans 7. It's going to be super fun, um, but I wrote down what the remnants are. It's not the old nature. The old nature is already crucified. What it is, is it's the mental and the emotional and the physical attachments and predispositions that we all still have to our old self. Those things need to be burned up because it's not who you are anymore. He's just trying to bring out the true new you in Christ. All right, so that's, that's what Paul's saying. Now, now, there's another thing, though. He says these things lead to hope. Now, what, what is our hope supposed to be in? Like, what is our hope supposed to be anchored in as believers? Because all of these trials are bringing us to a place where we're going to be more like Jesus. We're going to be more in our identity in Jesus. What is the hope? Well, if you'll follow along with me here, in verses 6 through 11, Paul explains very clearly what our hope is um, as Christians. He says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Do you guys see the hope that we have here? None of us, if, if just think about when God came to you in your life. Did you have it all figured out? 
Did you have everything together? For most of us, it was quite the opposite. We were enemies. I was an enemy. I didn't want anything to do with the God I thought existed. But when he came to me with his grace and with his love, it's like that but God statement. He came and saved us when we were completely opposed to him. So here's a good question. Why would he give up on you now? What makes you think you've got what it takes to make God give up on you when he died for you when you were at your worst? He who began a good work in you will bring it on to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. So this is the hope. What hope do we have? We were loved and we were saved and we were embraced at our worst. So surely he'll never forsake us when we act contrary to who we are now. Which brings me closer to the finish line of this uh, very amazing chapter. um, The ministry of reconciliation. So Paul's given us peace with God with God. He's showing us that we have that peace by grace through faith. He's saying, you guys are going to experience things contrary to this new life, but take heart. It's producing in you something. It's bringing you somewhere, right? So we've got all this hope. Now he's turning it towards the world in need. He's starting to bring it into perspective. So like, what is this actually going to do for others? All right, so Paul begins to dive into what I want to talk to you now. It's the ministry of reconciliation. You may have missed it, but if you would, look with me back at verse 10 for just a minute, okay? So we're in Romans 5, verse 10. There's quite a radical statement that's being made here, okay? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So here's an important question. Who has been reconciled to God, and when did the reconciliation take place? Who's been reconciled, when did it take place? In other words, how big is this gospel? Okay? In answering this question, I'm going to use some scriptures uh, to answer it, okay? So just listen here for me. Uh, Colossians 1, 19 through 20, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The testimony given at the proper time. John twelve thirty two. Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw everyone to myself. And you know, that was interpreted a verse later when he's lifted up on the cross, right? Second uh, Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And Second Corinthians 5.18-19, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against him, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You guys following along with me? 
Okay, so thank you. So here's the answer. The answer to the question, who has been reconciled and when did it happen? The answer is, everyone who has ever existed or will exist has been reconciled to God through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. It happened 2,000 years ago at Calvary once for all. Now, take a deep breath with me for a minute, okay? Paul's not a universalist, and I'm not either, okay? Just in case you guys are wondering what universalism is, I know a lot of you know, okay? Universalism, in and of itself, is this broad idea that all roads lead to Rome. It doesn't matter what you believe, everyone's going to be saved. Christian universalism is the idea that no matter what the Bible seems to teach, everyone's going to be saved, okay? You can't be honest to the integrity of Scripture and make a dogmatic statement like that, okay? I'm not a universalist. Paul's not a universalist. What Paul is teaching is universal reconciliation, not universal salvation. The difference is that, we're about to get into that, but the difference is that Jesus has already done it for all, and it's already a gift for all, okay? It doesn't mean that everyone's received it. Okay, but it's good news nonetheless. I mean, this is really good news. Um, And I just want to say real quick, too, uh, that we're moving on to the next slide. And the last slide is going to sum up the point of what Paul's getting at. The universal reconciliation of all of humanity in the Son of Jesus, uh, in the Son of God. Um, now, instead of reading this, guys, uh, there's verses 12 through 21, okay? In Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, that's where all of this is, this whole chart I have. I'm not going to read all of this. It's going to take a long time, and then I think I'll lose you somewhere when I actually get to the chart. So I would encourage you to go and read it when you get a chance. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to share with you um, a comparison chart, Okay? Paul, in his theology, calls Jesus Christ the last Adam. Now, the question is, what did the first Adam do, and how did the last Adam resolve it? Another question, is Adam more powerful than Jesus? That You may give me a yes, but when we get to Romans 6, you may reconsider your yes. Because Romans 6 takes a lot of faith. Um, Good thing it's not up to us entirely. But let me just read this chart to you, okay? This is the comparison between the first Adam and the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Through the first Adam, sin and death entered into the world and spread to all mankind. Through the last Adam, righteousness and life entered back into the world and now spreads to all mankind. Through the first Adam, one, trans, one transgression was committed and brought about condemnation. Through the last Adam, one righteous act was committed, which brought about justification. Through the first Adam, mankind was made sinners. Through the last Adam, mankind was declared righteous. Through the first Adam, sin reigned in death. Through the last Adam, grace reigns in righteousness and life. Through the first Adam, the law was needed to be given, pointing out our slavery to sin. Through the last Adam, grace has now been instituted, revealing our slavery 
to righteousness. Isn't that good news? That's scandalous good news because it's clear in Scripture that this applies to everyone, to every single person that's ever existed. See, the scandal of grace is that it offends our own human efforts at at attempting to climb back up to God. It offends our religion. It offends our idea that we can somehow solve our own problems, right? But the gospel, the scandal of grace, we're getting there. It's, it gets pretty scandalous at the very end. The scandal of grace is that God in Christ came down to us and brought us back to God. And it's a gift. All right? So the call to a world now unaware is the following. And this is, this is what I'm getting at with the ministry of reconciliation and what Paul's getting at here is that now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us, he's committed to us the word of reconciliation, not judgment, you know, it just it says that, that God's not counting their wrongdoings against them, but a lot of times, if we're not careful, we can in the name of God, right? And then look what it says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that, on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The first Adam made us sinners. The last Adam made us righteous, okay? So, yeah, that's the call to a world in need. Um, I want to go ahead and call the worship team back up real quick. I have a little activity I want to do with you guys. What was that? Someone say fire tunnel or something? Hey, don't you worry. That, that's coming. I'm just saving it for the next sermon, okay? <laughs> All right, sorry. Okay. So if you, if you would, um, just kind of put your notes down, put your Bibles down, just get relaxed. I want to just do a visionary activity with you real quick, okay? All right. So I want you to think about the thief hanging next to Jesus. You guys all know that story, right? In the Gospels. I want you to think about the thief hanging next to Jesus. So he's up there. He's on the cross. Right beside the Messiah. His his whole life, I guess, we don't know much about him. But it led him to the point of being on a cross. Paying a criminal's price for all of his sins, right? Okay. And... The thief must have, at some point, we don't know if it was before he was next to Jesus or if it was while he was next to Jesus, but at some point that divine intervention met his heart and that divine persuasion reached his heart. You could say that grace and that faith came into his heart, right? And he looks over at Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom." right? And of, of course the Lord said, well, not so fast. 
Uh, You call that a sinner's prayer? You got to get your sinner's prayer right. And you also, you got to get baptized. You got to figure out, you know, which theology is perfect. Make sure you get into the right denomination. And then you really, you got to obey everything I command. And if you don't, you know, measure up, you're not getting in. Oh, that's right. He didn't say that. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. What did he do to earn that? Nothing. That's the picture of the power of the last Adam. What did you do to get yourself an Adam? Nothing. The first Adam. What did you do to get an Adam? You were born into it. right? What do you do to get in Christ? Trust. Trust. In a sense, you're, you're included before you even trust. But it doesn't affect you. If you don't, I can have a gift for you and, and I've already paid for it and it's yours. Your name is on that gift. But if you reject it, what can I do? You can't bypass free will. But just like the thief hanging next to Jesus, there was nothing he could do to merit it. And, you know, there may be some of you guys in here today that are trying to earn your salvation. Maybe there's some of you guys in here, you got kind of hoodwinked into thinking that there's more that you've got to do in order to get favor from a God who's bestowed it all on you in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Maybe that's where you need to repent. Maybe there's some of you guys who are in here right now who've never heard this before, and maybe God's doing something in your heart. Maybe he's doing some of that divine intervention inside of your heart. And maybe you just simply need to say yes and accredit that yes as the reception of your salvation. But I just want to tell you, if you're watching online, if you're in here and you never heard this, I just want to speak some truth over you. You were included in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. When he died, you died. All of your sins have been completely washed away. He's only interested in a relationship with you. He's only interested in you being his child who he much loves. And he's already paid for it entirely. And it's simply a gift. And maybe you could just say yes to that. So let me pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your words through the Apostle Paul. God, I thank you for the scandal of grace. I thank you for your favor that doesn't have a price tag on it and for your love. And God, I just pray that if there's anybody in here, anybody watching online who's ever heard this, I ask that you right now would just reveal it to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let them see that they were included in Jesus and that they died with you, Lord. And if there's any of our precious brothers and sisters who have received Christ that are in this house or listening online, and they are caught up in that striving to try to get you to approve of them, or or they're not assured of their salvation, Lord, I pray that the word spoken today would seal the deal, that they would realize that it was never about you. It was about you in the sense that Jesus chose you, but it was never about you earning it or fulfilling it. 
God, I thank you that you, as the last Adam, have perfectly cut a covenant within yourself, and you uphold it. Lord, bless your people today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together. Thank you for tuning in to Community Vineyard Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's message, click the share button and be sure to subscribe to our channel so that you'll be notified of our latest content. To learn more about Community Vineyard Church or how you can partner with us, please visit our website at www.communityvineyard.org. Until next time.